0: Hey, Rico, this is Doc from Heroes of Science Fiction and Fantasy. I'm at WonderCon 2008, and I'm here with Bobby Clark, the original Gorn from, from the original series of Star Trek, and he's just going to say hi. Here's
1: Bobby Clark.
2: Hey, all you Treks and sci-fi fans out there. What are you doing sitting home today? It's rainy, it's miserable, it's crowded. Come on down here to WonderCon. We're waiting to see you, and there's a lot of good things to be seen.
1: Hope to see you.
2: Look for me, Bobby Clark, I was the Gorn.
1: Thanks a lot, Bobby.
3: Well, thanks very much, Doc, for that uh cool little uh sound bite there from WonderCon out in California. Doc uh, does his own uh show, own podcast. He's also a member on the Treks and Sci Fi forums. Thanks for that uh quick sound bite from the guy who played the original Gorn in the episode arena of Star Trek, of course. And welcome everyone to Treks and Sci Fi, another uh edition of the podcast. This is Rico again, and this will be show number 162. Oh my goodness, really uh, cranking them out these days, huh? (laughs) Anyway, today is February 24th, 2008. It's oscar your day, I'm sure. Uh, uh, Some people are probably excited about that. I'll probably talk a a little bit about it on the podcast um, as we get going. Uh, We've got uh, another uh, uh, packed show. It's probably going to be a long one again. Got some cool listener calls to play and entries. We're going to be covering the original series Star Trek episode, The Man Trap. Actually, the first episode ever aired of Star Trek. So I thought that'd be a fun one to to take a look at and uh, bring everyone up to speed on some of the movie news of the Trek movie, of course, Uh, some talk about uh, DVDs and HD and all that, Uh, we've got a collectible I'm going to try to slide in and review, and and just lots of the usual good fun stuff that you've come to expect from Treks in sci-fi. So, without any further ado, let's get going. Rico, Rico, Rico. Drexin Sci-Fi. Drexin Sci-Fi. Captain. Incoming message. A weekly dose of sci-fi and Star Trek information.
2: Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. I know this ship like the back of my hand.
3: Drexin Sci-Fi. Hello again, everyone. And this is Rico, and this is Drexin Sci-Fi. That's a... Intro there that uh, Nathan Moyer did for me quite a while back. I always like to slide it in every now and then. Really like that one, so thanks for that, Nathan. Well, getting uh, started on the podcast a little late this morning. Uh, It's a Sunday, cold Sunday morning in Michigan again. Still winter here, yes. Drinking my uh, frost-flavored... What is flavor anyway? Well, this is kind of purple Gatorade today, so got that to keep my voice going throughout the podcast, and... uh, just kind of getting into the groove of uh, recording another show for everyone. Got a lot of good response from last week's podcast on the movie Generations. Everyone seemed to really enjoy that uh, and uh, liked uh, what I had to say, I think, and the clips that I picked. So always great to hear from you guys. If you want to email me, treksf at gmail.com is always the email to use to get in touch. Or, of course, you can go to the main website, com. There's f- several different ways to contact me through that Uh There's also the forums, which is another great way, so check out the forums link and join up if you haven't yet. A lot of good people on there, a lot of good things going on on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums every day. All right, let's get into some news and uh, things going on in the world of sci-fi and Star Trek uh, this past week. One a really cool bit of news, I thought uh, that I just heard about yesterday. Somebody on the forums posted this up. Uh, I believe it was K Trek over on the forums. Thanks for this information. It looks like CBS over at CBS.com, you can uh, view all the original Star Trek episodes streaming uh, live to your computer, which uh, is great. You know, you don't have to pay for them. Uh, of course, I think I'd heard, and somebody on the forums from another country was having trouble. These are only, I guess, available if you're in the United States, unfortunately. I don't think even Canada can connect in. So that that's, uh, that's too bad that that's the case. Uh, I, I wish they'd open it up a little bit more. I'm not sure how or why that all works. I'm sure it has to do with rights and, and control and, and, and all kinds of things like that. But for those in the U.S., at least, I know this works right now. You can go to CBS.com. I'll put the full link up in the podcast notes for this week. But you can view all three seasons of the original Star Trek on your computer for free. Well, it looks like the uh, HD uh, DVD versus Blu-ray war battle—you know, whatever you want to call it—is pretty much ended. Paramount's—I don't know if it's completely official that they've announced it, but I, I guess it's pretty darn close to official. They are uh, switching back. You know, first they were, uh, gosh, I think they were both Blu-ray and HD DVD. Then they went all HD DVD, and now they're going back to Blu-ray, uh, or or back to only Blu-ray. This uh, isn't really too much of a surprise, you know. With Warner Brothers several weeks ago switching to Blu-ray only, uh, it's uh, it's becoming the dominant format. They they only you know the studios are only going to go one way. It looks like with this, so Blu-ray is it. Even though I'm sitting looking over at my Toshiba HD DVD player, but I don't have a lot of HD DVDs yet, so uh, I I'm not too concerned about that. I might even try to pick up a few sale HD DVDs. I mean the the TV I have has lots of input so there's nothing that's uh you know gonna happen there but uh, this uh they also that this is gonna kind of put a little bit of a monkey wrench though i think in seeing the second and third seasons of the enhanced star trek episodes out on uh, they put the first season on an hd dvd but they have canceled the subsequent seasons on hd dvd so they are going to have to put these out now on blu-ray for um for home release or you know whatever you want to call it they also i'm guessing we'll probably go back and do season one again in blu-ray which uh for those of us who've already gone out and bought it uh that's kind of a little unfortunate uh i wish they'd give people you know some kind of a coupon discount for those that have you know or already purchased it in some way i don't know but uh not a big deal i guess uh so that's the the story on uh the hd situation and paramount i i do also think or hope that i haven't heard a lot but I, I hope they start putting out some of the Trek movies in high def. That that would be a really cool to see. On the uh, the book front, uh, Kristen Smith uh, or Christine—I can't remember—is it Chris or I think she goes by the name of Chris when I interviewed her. She has written, you know, a previous book about uh, DeForest Kelly, played Dr. McCoy, of course, on the original Star Trek. She's working on a new book, and I'll have to get her back on the podcast sometime. This one's going to be called The Enduring Legacy of DeForest Kelly, Actor, Healer, and Friend. Uh, she had, of course, uh, spent a lot of time with D throughout his life, uh, especially towards the the end of uh, uh, his last few years. She was a, a good friend to him and helped him out quite a bit. So uh, we'll have to talk to her again about that. And there's a uh, some uh, sh- just a short little uh, interview with her over at uh, trekmovie.com talking about this, talking about her... Uh, her take on uh Carl Urban Urbane how do you Urban I guess it's just Urban the guy who of course is playing Dr. McCoy in the new Trek movie and her uh comments about his uh you know ability to fill uh DeForest Kelly's shoes in in the role of Dr. McCoy so uh, we'll have to talk to her again like I said on the podcast sometime when she gets a little uh, further along in this new uh D. Kelly book and on the uh on the movie front looks like things are continuing to progress there was a uh A brief audio, uh, not audio, uh, video of uh, an interview, a quick little interview with J.J. Abrams uh, discussing the the state of the movie and a little bit about uh, Cloverfield and a sequel to that movie. Uh, The the biggest probably tidbit I got from this video, and I'll try to put a link in the podcast notes up about it, uh, is he mentions in the interview about the move from uh, the Christmas date to uh, May, and he echoes a lot of people's thoughts about this move. Saying that uh, well, first, he states uh, pretty clearly that it wasn 't his decision it wasn 't his idea to move the movie like this. He says he really liked the idea of a Christmas movie opening. He liked that idea, but he also says that you know this also shows from the dailies and and bits that Paramount and everyone has been seeing of the film that they have a lot of faith and a lot of confidence that it 's going to be a great movie, so that is uh, is one of the reasons you know probably one of the biggest reasons why they moved it to May. If they felt the movie was weak or, or not that good, they probably wouldn't put it out in a very prime time spot of early May of 2009 uh, for its release. So, again, good news in a way. Five more months to wait, but I think we can hang in there. Okay, I'm going to take a uh, a short break, at least from me talking, and I'm going to turn this over to uh, Nathaniel, uh, who is uh, in Florida, I think. The, uh, I'm sorry, no, that's somebody else I've got a clip for. Too many clips this week, sorry. Nathaniel has... Um, His clip will be later on. Let me get this all straight. It's Rob in Orlando you're going to hear next, who has a cool little musical uh, entry for everyone to listen to. So this is Rob, not Nate. That's later. And uh, his musical entry. So listen to Rob. Hi, everyone. This is Rob in Orlando, Florida.
4: And I love music for sci-fi, just like Vartok. Vartok is doing such a great job covering the more well-known composers of sci-fi films I wanted to introduce you today to a piece of music that I love that was done by a composer that you may not hear about. The name of the composer is Armin Badia and the name of the piece is Interstellar Suite. Think of *Interstellar Suite* as a soundtrack to a sci-fi movie that was never made. In 1981, Armin submitted this unusual sci-fi-sounding orchestral work for a synthesizer competition, and won first prize out of 500 entrants. This launched his career, and eventually allowed him to make a CD, which was released in 1987 of this work. This entire work was done. On the old style monophonic synthesizers, meaning he played each part one note at a time on a multi track recorder. made this recording unique. One was its lush orchestral stylings attributed to Armin's love of Jerry Goldsmith and John Williams' film scores. Interstellar Suite is basically a musical version of a short sci-fi story, which includes an overture, a main theme for the ship, a piece that talks about the mission control liftoff and jumping into light speed, A wonderful piece about walking in space by opening the airlock and going out into space. A piece about a hostile intruder that attacks their ship. Another piece that talks about their distress signal beacon. The damaged ship and how they try to survive from the attack. And because they're attacked and dead in space, they feel kind of lonely and cut off from their fleet. Then there's a piece which involves the rescue by their fleet and then them going after the hostile attacker and battling them and winning. And then finally there's a finale. Armin captures all of these moods just as masterfully as his influence is. I could go on about this CD for quite a while longer, but because we're limited on time, I'd like to just suggest that you go to www.interstellarsuite.com to find out more about this CD and maybe even possibly pick it up yourself. Uh, Like uh, some of the composers Vartok has mentioned to you, he does uh, give you a CD with his autograph on it if you'd like. So head on over to www.interstellasuite.com and get your copy of this wonderful, wonderful sci-fi piece. It's a shame there was never a film or uh, an animation made to this, and maybe someday they will make it. But until then... Let's just sit back, listen, close our eyes and imagine ourselves there. Much the way you do when you read a good book. This is Robin Orlando, Florida signing off. Thanks again Rico for uh, allowing me to talk about this great CD on your really great podcast. I'll be listening and I'll see you all in the forums.
3: Well, thanks very much for that uh great piece on that uh bit of interstellar music uh rob uh, i really appreciate that very very kind of classical sounding i thought uh reminded me a lot of holsts uh who's a you know classical very classical composer uh his uh suite called the planets uh, a lot of uh similar kinds of sounds and, and uh that sweeping uh I guess you could call it interstellar kind of sound to uh, the music. I uh, really enjoyed that. So thanks a lot. And uh, everyone out there should check out that uh, website. Sounds uh, pretty interesting. Uh, and I will put a link to that in the podcast notes as well. I wanted to mention uh, something new that I started this past week. I, I was some kind of uh, one of those times where the, the words are in my head, but they don't come out uh I had been searching around the internet for a, a a website that does some kind of a Star Trek daily picture. You know, there's several of these. If you just do a, a Google search for daily pic or daily pictures, you'll find several uh, websites that do lots of different daily pictures. They could be about, you know, NASA, space shots, astronomy, weather, uh, just nature. It can be a lot of different little things. And I was surprised, actually, at least in my searching, that I was having a hard time having a hard time, yes, uh, finding something about a Star Trek Daily Picture. The uh, Memory Alpha site kind of does one, but it's a very small little picture, and it doesn't seem to be really well highlighted. Anyway, make a long story or sort of not. That long of a story short, I decided to start my own. You know, that's uh, you know when no one else is doing it, you should do it yourself, right? So, I have started a uh, Star Trek Daily Picture blog. I guess you could call it. Uh, it's still under the main website uh, trexsinsci-fi dot com, but if you go to trexsinsci-fi dot com forward slash Trek Daily, you can also find a link to that in the images uh, menu section of trexsinsci-fi dot com. So don't worry about having to. Write down that uh, sub-website right now, but you can find it that way. But this is just a little WordPress blog that I put up, and I'm, each day I'm going to update it with a, a new uh, picture of the day. What I wanted to also mention, though, with regards to this, and it's this is going to rotate anything basically Star Trek-related from any of the TV shows, movies, uh, even conventions, collectibles, all that kind of stuff— uh, but what I really wanted to mention about this or, or bring a uh, highlight uh, for everyone is that I'm also taking submissions. If you have uh, what you think is maybe a little different or a cool Star Trek picture, maybe something about a, uh, one of the uh, cast members or someone else at a convention or something like that, anyway, send me an email. Uh, I set up a new email for this little picture blog. It's trekdailypick at gmail.com. And if you can't remember that, again, if you just go to the Treks and Sci-Fi. Uh, website and then go to Trek Daily Pick under the images section. The link to the email for that is on that page. Hopefully that's clear uh, clear enough. Anyway, send me some submissions and some cool pictures. The uh, only thing I will have to say is that I, I'm shooting for something that's about 700 pixels wide that fits the format pretty well. If it's a little smaller, I can enlarge it. If it's a little larger, I can shrink it. That's not a big deal. But if you if you are uh, handy at uh, image editing and all that, if you want to make it a little quicker and easier for me, something that's about 700 pixels wide is the optimum size for this. So uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I, I hope you will. You can also subscribe and kind of, uh, if you use RSS at all or an RSS reader, if you look at the top of the Trek Daily Pitch p- picture page, oh, say that a lot fast. Uh you can find a subscribe link which is an RSS feed which will be updated, you know, each time a new picture goes up. So that's another way to view it. So I think uh it'll be fun. So check it out when you get a chance. Okay. okay. Also uh I want to bring up uh the RPG on the forum while we're talking about the website and things like that. We are just about over with season five right now lots of major things happening in this uh this uh, season and uh, for those in the rpg they're well aware of this if you're a forum member and maybe just a reader of it you can uh you can check that out or or join the treks in sci-fi forums and and join in the fun on the rpg lots of stuff going on and very soon in the next probably week or so uh season the next season will be beginning so uh, i want to uh, play there's this cool little uh, bit of audio here from uh, two of our, uh, or two moderators, I guess you could say, but both of them do a great job. Kenny and Jen on the RPG game, and here's a little bit of audio uh, about the current season, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So I'll be back after this.
0: Enter. Reporting for duty, sir. Savril, it's, it's so good to see you. How are you feeling? I am stronger, but that is all. Arya has sacrificed much to get me to this state. I hope I can still be of assistance, Captain. Very good. We have a lot to discuss, Number One. I've finished speaking with Admiral Decker, and we both come to this conclusion. The ship's bio-gel packs are infected with the virus, the inhibitor will not work on them, and we are losing vital systems at an alarming pace. In the next 43 hours, life support will begin to fail, and six hours after that, the ship's orbit will begin to decay. I understand, Captain. Aside from the danger it poses to the crew, the Tiberius is essentially a bioweapon. To prevent this pathogen from falling into the wrong hands, we must ensure the virus is eradicated completely. Precisely. Once the crew is abandoned ship, we will engage the auto-destruct.
5: Season 5 is about
0: to end with a bang. Join our crew for Season 6, or Sci-Fi RPG to find out what will happen next.
3: Well, thanks, Kenny and Jen. Very exciting stuff there. Lots of things, like I said, happening. This is uh, a bit of uh, information, audio, uh, things that are happening right now at the end of Season 5. I'd really love it. If anyone else in the forum is listening, if you want to join in Season 6, let us know. And if you are not on the forum yet and you uh, want to participate in this, just sign up. Okay, I've got uh, one more bit of audio here I wanted to play before we get into our discussion about the Man Trap uh, Trek episode. This is uh, this one's from Nathaniel. He plays uh, a bit of this uh, interview with uh, DeForest Kelly, and since the Mantrap episode is very uh, heavy and and focuses on Doctor McCoy quite a bit. This is a great thing to play for this week's podcast. Uh, I won't play all of it, uh, but again, this is from an old uh, record that was out called Inside Star Trek that had Gene Roddenberry interviewing uh, various uh, members of the original Star Trek series. So take it away, Nathaniel.
0: Well, hi, everyone. My name is Nathaniel and uh, I've been a long-time listener of Rico's uh, podcast, almost from the very beginning. And uh, recently, I've always also um, appreciated the contributions that other podcast listeners have made to the show. I think it's really um, made it that much more enjoyable. So I thought I'd uh, try my hand at adding a segment for the podcast. Um, A few years ago, I discovered an album uh, that Gene Roddenberry recorded in the 1970s called Inside Star Trek. Uh, the album features great interviews um, that Gene did with Trek legends like William Shatner, D. Kelly, and what I consider a really rare interview with Mark Leonard, actually portraying uh, Sarek. Um, and I loved the album so much, I thought I'd share some clips with my fellow uh, Treks and Sci-Fi listeners. So if this is something that everyone enjoys, and hopefully I'll be able to bring um, a few other clips from the album for everyone. So uh, without. For any further ado, I'd like to introduce you all to uh, Gene Roddenberry's Inside Star Trek and a special interview, which I hope everyone will appreciate. Um, thanks again, and especially Rico, for letting me add a little something special to the podcast. Enjoy.
1: You cannot get fully Inside Star Trek without getting to know DeForest Kelly. In real life, he often seems more a 23rd century human being than any of us. Witness what this intelligent, witty man had to say when
2: we talked recently. Well, yes, of course that happens. DeForest Kelly and Dr. McCoy are part of each other. It's impossible for me to give a character that much of my emotion, identify with him that strongly, for that length of time, without fiction and reality beginning to meld somewhat.
1: Then you're saying, Dee, that if you
2: played Jack the Ripper, he'd be part DeForest Kelly. And Kelly would be affected by what the killer was. Certainly if I played him as an actor should, that is, feeling his needs, thinking, his thoughts. You see, everyone play acts a little bit, Gene. Children, most of all, because it's a valuable aid in uh, choosing what kind of person you want to be or what kind of person you don't want to be. And naturally, since I don't want to be Jack the Ripper, (laughs) it's easy for me to disengage after that rolls over. But now that when you start talking about Dr. McCoy, you are beginning to talk about a completely different case... He has some human qualities that are really worth emulating. How far does that emulating him uh, go, do you? you? mean, do I ever think I am Dr. McCoy? Yeah. Oh, of course not.
1: Amazing number of people relate to you that way, don't they?
2: Yes, that's true.
1: Do they ask for medical advice ever?
2: Oh, no, Gene. Now, you know our fans are brighter than that. <laughs> they know I'm not really McCoy. But something about our show seemed to give... Uh, Gee, I don't know. I, I guess hope is the best word. You know, the most heartbreaking letters I receive come from parents and even the children themselves who have some kind of permanent illness or uh, even a terminal illness.
1: You've visited some of these children, haven't you?
2: Yes, I've been able to visit some, and I I try to correspond with everyone who writes that type of letter.
1: This is a difficult question. Like, what did your visit do? How did you feel... How could you possibly help
2: them? Well, the answer is still hope. Not necessarily that I brought any hope they'd get well, you understand. The hope seems to be, I guess, in imagination and dreams. But those particular dreams won't come true for those children. Well, maybe kids are smarter than us. They think dreams do come true. You see, if we can imagine better ways, a happier life, a better world, then somehow, if you can believe it will happen... It will happen. And we're all going to be a part of it someday, Gene. I'm beginning to sound like the ship's chaplain. We'd better get back to some medicine. I've noticed that you do share McCoy's interest in medicine. Well, after all, I spent three years of my life betraying... No, not, not really betraying, uh, uh, being a doctor. Making myself think as a physician thinks. Feeling a physician's responsibilities, his values, his needs. If you do that, how can you not begin examining medicine today and thinking about what it will become in the Star Trek century? Okay, medicine today.
3: Well, thanks for that, Nathaniel. I hated to cut it short. I had another couple minutes of that. It's a great album, Inside Star Trek. You should be able to find information about that online if you do some searching. Also, if you want to email me, I think I have a copy of that around. I might be able to help you out. Uh, again, uh, Nathaniel sounds like he's probably going to put uh, some more clips from that together and submit it to the podcast, so that's another way to listen. But great stuff and really fits in well with our look today at uh, DeForest Kelly playing Dr. McCoy on the episode The Man Trap. So again, thanks, Nathaniel, for that uh, great little clip and inside look at uh, the DeForest Kelly and you know how much of a nice, just genuinely nice guy he was. And like Gene had said in that interview, he's probably the most future-thinking and, and most... Uh, I guess, uh, hopeful and, and like his character of maybe of any of the original actors. So, again, thanks a lot for that, Nathaniel. Okay, so let's get into uh, this week's episode, The Man Trap, the first episode of Star Trek ever aired on television. This uh, this episode, uh, there's a lot of things that uh, are kind of unique and different about this. And I want to give everyone a little bit of background at what led... Uh, Uh, Star Trek to this and airing this episode, and a little bit of uh, history of the very early, early days of uh, Trek on the air. First thing I want to say is, uh, as a lot of people listening probably already know, Star Trek uh, was not uh, aired in the same order it was produced. In other words, episodes were filmed, and later on it was decided which ones to air at what point in time. Now, that's kind of a common practice, Uh, it, it happens even to this day probably on serialized type shows, you know, shows that have, you know, the the plot follows some sort of continuous, uh, Arc or or thread or whatever, like shows like Lost, especially. I believe they just probably filmed those in order. But anyway, Star Trek didn't do that, and the um, the episode The Man Trap is actually the sixth episode that was filmed, but it was the first one aired, and it's a it's rather unusual because it's very unlike other Star Trek episodes. Uh, but keep in mind the studio execs at this time, and in the in the fifties and science fiction. These guys had it in their heads that science fiction was about, you know, bug eyed monsters and scary things and stuff like that a lot. And the episode, The Man Trap, about the uh, classic or as called salt vampire creature that the Enterprise crew runs into, is very much like that. So I can understand why this one was aired first. However, being so unlike the other Star Trek episodes, it probably wasn't a good way to kick off the show especially since the early Variety and other trade magazines really didn't like this episode. And TV Guide, and they all reported that, you know, this this episode, or at least Star Trek in general, they hit, were judging it based on this first episode, and, and they thought it was just kind of a kiddie show, a monster of a week. They kind of gave some kudos to the actors, saying they were they were trying very hard to be serious, and straight in their roles, but they they just didn't like this episode. And uh, the first few months of Star Trek were very rocky. Actually, up to about the end of that first fall season uh, in 1966, in about December or so of that year, it was very much in danger of being canceled, just pulled right out, uh, you know, like they do with shows these days where they don't even get a full first season, which happens quite often. Uh, Star Trek was uh, was very close to being you know swept away by that situation, and uh, I think a lot of it had to do with that first episode. Because if you don't catch a you know a, a group or, or the audience with your first episode, you're you're in a lot of trouble right off the start. You know, the um, Firefly is a recent example of that. They they did not air their episodes in order, and the first episode that they aired really wasn't like the other shows. It was later on. It didn't give you a, a really good look at the characters and everything and it really hurt the show i can remember distinctly watching that first episode which i think was the train job episode of firefly and not really liking the show very much and only later on when i watched uh, it when i bought the dvd set that i really started to love and enjoy the series and that's just another example of how much you know the order which you air the episodes and how you start off really is a big impact on uh, a television show's success Uh, A key factor that kept Star Trek on the air, everyone's very familiar, I think, with the letter-writing campaign from between Season 2 and Season 3. You know, Star Trek was basically effectively canned at the end of Season 2, and there was a big letter-writing campaign. B. Joe Trimble was a good part of that, and other people uh, that uh, they got Star Trek a third season, even though the third season definitely not the best of the original series. At least they got another year out of the show. And I think that you know helped quite a bit because you had three seasons that could go into syndication. And that's when Star Trek really took off, of course. But uh, there was an earlier writing campaign. And uh, right after this, uh, like I said, towards the, the first few months of Star Trek, when it was really uh, getting poor ratings, what happened was a, a group of science fiction authors got together. Paul Anderson, Robert Block, Harlan Ellison, Philip Jose Farmer, Frank Herbet, Herbert, Herbert. You know, the author of Dune, yeah, that guy. Uh, Richard Matheson, Theodore Sturgeon, A.E. Van Vogt, uh, just a lot of very, very respected science fiction authors got together and sent out a letter basically to uh, all the people that had attended the World Science Fiction Convention in 1966 and brought all these people uh, up to speed and aware of the fact that this fairly intelligent, at least, you know, based on movies and television shows up until that point for sci fi this very intelligent series called Star Trek was in a big danger of being cancelled, and they urged everyone to start writing letters, in. And- to save the show. So this, uh, this letter hit home. Uh, letters were written, and Star Trek uh, was able to continue its first season and, and, of course, went on to do two more seasons. So there was your first letter-writing campaign that kept Star Trek going, and it's kind of interesting because, you know, I, I find it kind of funny that Harlan Ellison was part of this, especially since he was sort of you know he had his ups and downs with star trek over the years and you know he really disliked the fact that they changed his city on the edge of the city on the edge of forever script and so he's he's a very vocal guy and and he doesn't hold anything back so uh, but here he was part of this initial uh, campaign to keep star trek on the air so i think that's kind of an interesting point uh, so there gives you a little bit of history of the early days and uh what led up to uh the, the um I guess, the season, the first season of Trek, and a little bit about this first episode called The Man Trap. So enough of me blathering along. Let's get uh, into the episode. Now, this episode is really a heavy Dr. McCoy episode. He meets this long-lost love on this planet. They're there to just do sort of a medical exam of uh, these two archaeologists, uh, Professor Crater and his wife Nancy. Nancy is this um, old flame of Dr. McCoy. But uh, she isn't all she appears to be. So let me play the first clip, and then we'll get into discussing the episode in more detail.
6: Captain's log, star date 1513.1. Our position, orbiting planet M113. On board the Enterprise, Mr. Spock, temporarily in command. On the planet, the ruins of an ancient and long-dead civilization. Ship surgeon McCoy and myself are now beaming down to the planet's surface. Our mission? Routine medical examination of archaeologist Robert Crater and his wife Nancy. Routine, but for the fact that Nancy Crater is that one woman in Dr. McCoy's past. Shall we pick some flowers, Doctor? When a man visits an old girlfriend, she usually expects something like that. Is that how you get girls to like you? By briding?
2: (laughs) them. Doesn't seem to be anybody around, does it? Well,
6: they'll be along. You rushed us down ten minutes early.
3: okay uh, there's a couple again other interesting things about this episode it's it's, it's not very Star Trek like in general there's a lot of things different uh, one is that voiceover with Kirk even though he's doing his captain's log the, the difference here in this episode is he basically sort of is a, a narrator in a way uh, he reveals things that not the, the characters don't really know yet he, but he's sort of helping the audience along sort of uh, I, I Kind of compare this a little to and are reminded of the the Blade Runner uh, movies narration by Harrison Ford a little you know he this um, this idea of this uh, you know a voiceover narration to me is always a weakness when you can't get your points across uh, clearly with just the general things that are going on the scripts the actors their discussions and you need this kind of narration it's it's a weakness I think in the script and it you know they do captains logs in other episodes but this one is is quite a bit different and. It's, it's just something I wanted to point out. Um, the next clip I want to play for you is, of course, when Nancy pops in and uh, Dr. McCoy meets her uh, for the first time in several years. So listen to this.
5: Leonard.
3: Nancy.
5: Hello. It's
2: good to see you.
1: Let me look at
2: you. You haven't aged a day. Oh, this is Captain
6: Jim Kirk of the Enterprise.
0: Mrs.
6: Crater, I've heard a great deal about you.
0: All good, I hope.
6: And crewman Darnell. How do you do, ma'am? Something wrong, Darnell? Oh, excuse me, sir, but... Ma'am, if I didn't know better, I would swear that you were somebody I left behind on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. It's funny, you're exactly like a girl that. A little less mouth, Darnell. Well, I'm sorry, sir. I I didn't mean to. Uh... I mean, I know it's impossible, of course. Why don't you step outside, Darnell? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Maybe I'll step outside too.
1: What? And let Plum examine me all alone?
6: Plum. Plum.
1: A nickname I gave Leonard when we were very young.
2: Uh, I'll, uh, I'll wait for the professor and I'll catch you both at once.
1: <laughs> I'd better go get Bob. Every time he starts digging, he forgets time, sleep, food, everything. I'll be back in a minute.
3: Yeah, it was a very interesting scene there with, uh, the different, uh, the ways the salt, uh, creature appeared to the different, uh, uh characters there, Kirk, Saw an older Nancy McCoy. Saw the Nancy he recalled from long ago, and Darnell there, of course, seeing this blonde uh, bombshell that he uh, knew back on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet or whatever. Which uh, always reminds me of the that Risa planet that they had on TNG. Same kind of idea, I think. Uh, so that this creature had the ability to appear differently to uh, different people, even in the same room, which was a pretty cool thing. I thought. Uh, uh, what else did I want to say about that scene? Uh, oh, the music. Uh, Alexander Courage uh, does some really interesting music, I think, in this episode. Very eerie and kind of uh, mysterious and alien-sounding. And a lot like his his work on uh, the early pilot episodes of Star Trek, probably more so than, than any of the subsequent episodes. So good music in this episode, stuff I really like a lot. Uh, the next clip is another uh, kind of a voiceover a little bit, then it leads to a scene with uh, Crater and McCoy and Kirk, uh, But again, a little bit more of the Captain's Log. Captain's Log. Additional entry. Since our
6: mission was routine, we had beamed down to the planet without suspicion. We were totally unaware that each member of the landing party was seeing a different woman. A different Nancy Crater. Professor Crater. I'm Captain Kirk. This is... uh... The Roy Captain the intrepid doctor cross interstellar space to preserve our health. Oh, your sense of duty is overwhelming. Now, will you please go back where you came from and tell whoever issues your orders to leave me and my wife alone? Professor. We need additional salt against the heat. Aside from that, we're doing
2: very well, thank you. I'm pleased to hear you're doing well, but I'm required to confirm that fact.
6: Doubtless. The good surgeon will enjoy prodding and poking us with his arcane machinery. Go away. We don't want you. What you want is unimportant right now. What you will get is what is required by the book. Quote, all research personnel on alien planets are required to have their health certified by starship surgeon at one year intervals. Like it or not, Professor, as commander of the starship, I'm required to show your gold braid to everyone. You love it, don't you? He's all yours, Plum, Dr.
3: McCoy. Yeah, the uh, the actor there is named Alfred Ryder, who's playing uh, Professor Crater. Does a great job in this episode. Very good uh, actor, also a director. Uh, he does a, a good job of a you know in a difficult situation, being a guest star in a show like this, in a very weird uh, you know deal. Uh, you know, you've got this creature thing, and your you know starships, transporters, phasers, all this stuff. Uh, it, I always thought it would be kind of hard to. to pop in a show like this maybe not so much these days with sci-fi all over the place but back in the days early days of star trek to be a guest star would have been a little tricky i think uh the next clip this one i like this little scene there's a scene on the bridge between uhura and spock who, who never really have that many moments together like this in the series so i wanted to play this one for you
2: Uhura, your last subspace log contained an error in the frequencies column
1: Mr. Spock, sometimes I think if I hear that word frequency once more, I'll cry. Cry? I was just trying to start a conversation.
2: Well, since it is illogical for a communications officer to resent the word frequency, I have no answer.
1: No, you have an answer. I'm an illogical woman who's beginning to feel too much a part of that communications council. Why don't you tell me I'm an attractive young lady or ask me if I've ever been in love? Tell me how your planet Vulcan looks on a lazy evening when the moon is full.
2: Vulcan has no moon, Miss Avura.
1: I'm not surprised, Mr. Spock.
6: Transporter room to bridge. Landing party returning. They report one death.
2: Bridge acknowledging.
1: Don't believe it. Explain. You explain. That means that somebody is dead, and you just sit there. It could be Captain Kirk. He's the closest thing you have to a friend.
2: Lieutenant, my demonstration of concern will not change what has happened. The transporter room is very well manned, and they will call me if they need my assistance.
3: Yeah, I like that scene uh, between Spock and Uhura. You know, she's trying to kind of like flirt with them almost a little bit, and and in a way, and and he's of course being very, you know, Vulcan like and everything but and then his reaction to this death uh, they you know Darnell is killed on the planet by the salt creature they beam back aboard to uh, have McCoy examine the body uh, you know it, it, Spock is is just like you know he's he's, he's right they can, no matter how he feels about the situation uh, it it won't change anything of course it does seem still a little odd to me that he wouldn't try to find out at least who it was out of the landing party you know Kirk McCoy or Darnell who's dead, you know, it would be kind of a big deal if it was Kirk. You know, that that would be, not that these other characters don't matter or that Kirk matters more, but, I mean, that would put Spock in command and, you know, just lots of things like that. So I'm going to move on uh, a little bit quicker in this episode, try to catch up a little bit here on the podcast. McCoy, of course, discovers that uh, it was the removal of salt from Darnell's body that killed him, not this uh, Borgia plant that... uh, Nancy Crater says uh, that he was eating and then, then passed out and died or whatever. I want to skip ahead, though, to this next clip. There's another nice little side scene here in this episode between uh, Sulu and Yeoman Rand. Yeoman Rand brings uh, Sulu a plate of uh, food to eat, and and this is in this sort of botany area that Sulu kind of also works in in this episode, uh, and it, it shows kind of some of his interests. In The other thing that goes on in this episode uh, but Just slightly before this scene, this episode also created uh, the uh, several of Dr. McCoy's medical instruments. And a lot of those, again, listening probably know this story. But a lot of his little tools and medical instruments, scanners and, and spray things and all those little doodads, not so much as hypo and all that, but they had to go out for this episode, The Man Trap, and find a lot of exotic-looking salt shakers to use to sort of attract the creature. And they were on this tray that Yeoman Rand is carrying around Uh, So they they found all these very exotic-looking little salt shakers and decided that uh, they would make cool little medical instruments, futuristic medical instruments. They're kind of silver and and have cone shapes and and very strange-looking things, and people at first wouldn't recognize them as a salt shaker, but if they put them in the... Sick Bay area and mccoy sort of waved them over somebody's body they would uh, say hey that must be some kind of little scanning device or whatever so this is the origin uh this episode because of the plot and everything they had to props they had to bring in is the origin of some of dr mccoy's medical equipment so there you have that so here's the scene between uh, yeoman rand and sulu and oh there's one other little thing i wanted to mention this uh, he uh sulu has this sort of throwaway line In this scene where he says, may the great bird of the galaxy bless your planet, or something like that, uh, to Yeoman Rand for bringing him a tray of food in the the botany area. That is, uh, Gene Roddenberry became known as the great bird of the galaxy in Star Trek uh, lore or whatever. I'm not really sure whoever first coined that phrase for him. It must have been very early on, but uh, they used that line in this episode. I think it's probably the only time they use the line, the great bird of the galaxy. But that is a direct reference to Gene Roddenberry. So I thought that was kind of a neat little inside Star Trek or inside baseball kind of reference. So here you go with this scene.
6: Where are you, Sulu? In here feeding the weavers, Janice. I've got your tray. May the great bird of the galaxy bless your planet. (laughs) Thank
4: you. Hello, Beauregard. How are you today, darling?
6: Her name's Gertrude. No, it's a he plant. A girl can tell. Why do people have to call inanimate objects she? Like, um, she's a fast shit. He is not an inanimate object. He's so animate, he makes me nervous. In fact, I keep expecting one of these plants of yours to, uh, grab me.
3: Yeah, I always enjoyed that scene. I liked it when they would give the, uh... The characters on the Enterprise, you know, some little outside hobbies and duties, and and I, I was always a big fan of Yeoman Rand. I wish he would have been able to stay on the show longer, and you know, at least show up from time to time. Uh, but of course, she was removed after the first few episodes when they decided Kirk was going to be the uh, the, the galaxy hopping captain, uh, you know, alien girl uh, chasing uh, guy. So that he turned out to be a little bit. Um, anyway, that uh, there's a uh, there's Crewman Green who is actually the Salt Vampire, has slipped aboard the Enterprise, uh, played by an actor called, uh, named Bruce Watson. And I found out sort of late, uh, just not that long ago, uh, one of our forum members, K-Trek, uh, he's uh, related uh, by marriage, he said, uh, to Bruce Watson, which is pretty small world, I thought. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, this uh, he plays Crewman Green. And again, this is the Salt Vampire in disguise, who eventually disguises himself as... Dr. McCoy in this episode which was an interesting thing and allowed DeForest Kelly to play McCoy in a slightly different way and this next scene I'm going to play here in a second for you is a, a briefing room scene where they're discussing the situation and in this scene uh, McCoy has been replaced by the salt creature in the briefing room and acts a little bit strange so that was a, a good little area and a good chance for him to uh, to play a slightly different take on McCoy and How long was this green with you?
6: As long as he... It thought it could get to the salt in my tracer.
3: Mr. Spark? Supplies of salt
2: have been set out as bait at all decks and engineering levels, Captain. However, no one or nothing has
6: approached them as yet. Dr. McFarland? Yes. Medical department report, Doctor. Oh.
2: Well, we could offer it salt without tricks. There's no reason for it to attack us. Your attitude is laudable, Doctor, but your reasoning is reckless. The creature is not dangerous when fed. No, it's simply trying to survive
6: by using its natural ability to take other forms. The way the chameleon uses its protective coloring an ability retained, no doubt, from its primitive state. The way we have retained our incisor teeth, they were once fangs. Certain of our muscles were designed for chase. It uses its ability the way we would use our muscles and teeth, if necessary, to stay alive. And like us, it's an
2: intelligent animal. It's uh, there's no need to hunt it down. A very interesting hypothesis, Doctor.
3: Yeah. So there, McCoy, of course, is trying to, as the salt creature in disguise, he's trying to make a case for for you know not killing this thing, not killing the creature but that doesn't turn out to be the case. They, they don't do that at the, uh, and that is one of, to me, the biggest differences between this episode and other episodes of Trek, you know, even when they met aliens, even aliens that had both killed, uh, individual crewmen, uh, or, or even more than that. Uh, they generally tried to kind of negotiate, tried to make peace. They didn't go out, you know, and try to hunt them down and kill the enemy. That really wasn't what Star Trek was all about. Uh, They were all about, uh, you know, trying to understand the situation. Remember the episode with the Horda, the Devil in the Dark? You know, that creature in that episode, which is something... I I don't think I've covered that episode. Got to do that one soon on the podcast. But that that creature killed several of the Miners, uh, and they basically tried to communicate with it, tried to understand it, and eventually sort of made peace with it. And they don't do that in this episode. And again, I think that is... um, is very un-Star Trek-like, and I think it's another reason why this episode, the way it's thought of, especially being the first episode air, is being this creature of the week. They find it, it kills us, then we kill it. A very, very clean cut and very 50s monster movie-like, but not Star Trek, really, and not what Star Trek later sort of evolved into. So, different thing and a different situation. But uh, The next clip, this is towards, again, this is very, very much near the end, the, the alter, McCoy has changed back to Nancy and runs in and tries to, uh, it, it, she's actually going into Captain Kirk's quarters and is attacking him, uh, or is it, no, Kirk shows up, I believe it is in McCoy's quarters, and but it doesn't matter that much where it's at, I believe it's, yeah, McCoy's quarters, but then it attacks uh, Captain Kirk, so uh, that's the point in time where McCoy has to do what he has to do to stop it.
2: It's killing the captain. Shoot it, Doctor, quickly! No! No! It's killing the captain! Shoot, quick! I won't shoot Nancy! This is not Nancy! If she were Nancy, could she take this? Stop it! Stop it, Spock! Stop it! Is that Nancy, Doctor?
3: Yeah, that uh you know they the costume they used on the creature is actually a woman uh, playing the creature there underneath the costume a very small one they they did that uh, trick in Star Trek a few times for aliens uh, this uh, this uh, little weird uh, you know netting that she wears or you know the, the salt vampire wears in the face of the vampire pretty cool uh pretty cool looking creature I think. Uh, so McCoy kills it and uh, to prevent it from doing any more uh, damage. Uh, again, very un-Star Trek, uh, I thought. Uh, and I've got one last clip. This is just towards the very end of the episode. Not a lot of dialogue here, but just sort of polish it off uh, at the very end, the kind of wrap-up scene they have on the bridge uh, like they did in many episodes. Uh, so listen to this.
6: Ready to leave orbit, Captain. Something wrong, Captain? I was thinking about the buffalo, Mr. Spock. Warp one, Mr. Sulu. Warp one, sir.
3: <laughs> maybe go. So there you have this episode, The Man Trap. First episode of Star Trek ever aired. Uh, it was uh, written by George Clayton Johnson and directed by Mark Daniels. Cool episode, uh, quite a bit different than the normal Star Trek that we would uh, come to know later on and see over the course of the rest of the first season and in season two and season three. But an interesting take uh, in Star Trek and on in Star Trek history too and how this episode really wasn't probably the best episode to lead off their series with. Uh, I thought Where No Man Has Gone Before, the second pilot, would have been a much more interesting a- and episode uh, that was like Star Trek and a-, and a much better one to start off with, especially since that episode, the look of that episode was so different, Where No Man Has Gone Before versus the later ones. It would make sense if they aired that one first because that was basically the pilot episode that sold Star Trek to the network. So, but, you know, that's the way these networks work sometimes. And now we have a special treat for you. This is another father and son review uh, about the Man Trap, of course, but a little different version than they normally do, and I think you'll enjoy it. So take it away, uh, Rick Moyer and Nathan Moyer, with their father and son take on the Man Trap.
5: Hi, this is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is the the Father Father and and Son son review. Review. Today we decided to, instead of... Talk about the episode We thought we would just do it all in one-liners We're going to review the whole episode One-liners starting right now And then we'll be back at the end To tell you what we gave it That's right Okay, you ready? Yeah right. The man trap I'm ready Orbiting M-113 Spock in temporary command Kirk and McCoy visit the surface Routine visit McCoy's old flame Nancy is there Where are they? Ten minutes early? What? No red shirt? This time it's Blue? Will she remember me? Ooh la la, she hasn't aged a day. Crewman Darnell sees a blonde bombshell. I saw you on Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. Shut up and get lost, Darnell. Plum? What a nickname. Where's Bob? No, Darnell! No. Different Nancys for everyone. Bob's a jerk! Give us salt, we are hot! Now go away or we shall taunt you a second time! Nancy talks about you, McCoy. I see Gray, Doctor. Say what? Something's fishy here. <gasps> A scream! Darnell is... He's dead, Jim. What the heck is in his mouth? Untested plants? Or salt-sucking monster? Reen around the collar? Nancy liar liar skirts on fire. More salt. Did you ask them about the salt? Spock isn't good at small talk. Frequency. How do Vulcans love Mr. Spock? Landy's party. <laughs> Landy party's back! Uhura says, Spock... Don't you care? The autopsy raises questions. What really killed him? Tell the captain chili peppers will be good for them when they get here. Have patience. People aren't visiting M113 anymore. No salt in the body! Red rings! Red rings! Putting two plus two together and getting a salty four! Quit harassing us! Oh, oh, there goes green and he's in gold! In five years, There is nothing hostile here. Really, really. Billy Achy Mysteries! Nice salt tablets. Beam up with me. That's in order. Yep, Green's a goner. Surgeon's dead, too! Ooh, shape-shifting. Imposter, Green fakes them out. Stop thinking with your glands, bones! Three, two, beam up. Oh, no. The salt sucker is on board the Enterprise! Go sleep bones hey yeoman nice lunch can I have that salt shaker crater is searching captain go chase an asteroid green how would you like to have her as your own personal yeoman <laughs> may the great bird of the galaxy bless your planet nice planet Gertrude <laughs> what not talkative green salt staring Gertrude the watch plant calm down pink glove changing again hey God's salt Swahili? You are speaking Swahili. Saved by the captain. Bite that knuckle. Bones can't sleep. Try the red pill. Crewman in a strange outfit? I want him! Must have salt! McCoy's quarters. Nancy? Your place or mine? You do care about me, right, Leonard? Don't worry about my husband. I like your feelings better. (laughs) G.I. Joe is dead! Ring around the face again. The wooing of McCoy. There's a monster on the ship. Mm-mm. Your sweat is salty. Dr. McCoy to the bridge. Back on the planet. Professor Crater has the answer. Security condition three. Intruder alert. Let's get Crater. That creature leading you on a merry chase, Sulu? Stun the professor. Where's your wife? The last of her kind. A salt sucker! It's it's in danger of extinction, like the buffalo. One in a million. Nancy's really dead. Over a year ago? GQ4 now. They needed salt to survive. Using salt as bait. Your reasoning is reckless. Security level 4 on every deck. It needs to love too. Not just salt. Sympathy for the devil? Help us find it. Truth serum? Sure, why not? Uh-oh. Spock was attacked, but no salt to be found in his blood. Boom, boom, boom. Another one bites the dust. Run around the crater! <laughs> back in the doctor's quarters. Help me, Leonard! Help me! That's not Nancy. Want some salt, Nancy? Mmm, tasty. Now you, Captain Kirk. Shoot it, Doctor! It's killing! It's killing the doctor! Slap in the face! Wow. Could she take this? Oh my gosh! It's a salt sucker with suction cups! Ah! (laughs) Phaser fire. The salt sucker is, is, Lord forgive me, dead. Whew, that was close. I'm sorry, Bones. Ready to leave orbit, Captain. Thinking about the buffalo? Warp one, Mr. Sulu. Warp one, sir. Leaving orbit. Well, there you go. That was the entire episode in one-liners. The whole thing, Captain. That's right. So how many stars would you give this episode? I give this one
3: 4.1.
5: And I, I would agree with you. I really liked the episode. It was good. It wasn't, I mean, it was cool. I liked the salt sucking monster and everything it was cool about it. So, there you go. Hope you guys enjoyed our review. Kind of a little creative this time. It was fun. Oh, wait, wait. I'm going to give it four Michael Knights. Four Michael Knights. Cute. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been the father's Father son, son review.
3: review. Oh, well, that was great, guys! Uh, awesome job. Uh, I really enjoyed that. I'd love to hear you do that—that that little take uh, and way of doing it on other episodes as well. Uh, great job, and uh, lots of cool, uh, cool lines that you tossed in there. A lot of scenes too that uh, I, I picked out. I think in you, so good stuff, guys. Always fun to hear from you and your take on the man trap. <laughs> Now let's switch over into sort of the collectible segment. I did want to say one other thing uh, about the man trap in relation to uh, the the collectible area and, and props and things like I, I talk about. There are a couple interesting things in that episode. One is uh, Professor Crater, when he's firing and, and trying to hold off Kirk and Spock, who are trying to take him on the planet, he's using a, a phaser which was the original laser pistol that was used in the first pilot the cage by Captain Pike and everyone so he's got an alternate uh, version of what later was later later what was <laughs> what was turned into eventually a phaser so that's cool and also you get to see the the classic w- sort of white handled phaser weapons that Kirk uh, u- is using one i think in this episode and a couple other ones are on other people's belts uh, those little tan colored belts they wear in this episode don't show up very often in Star Trek either. So a couple of interesting things and uh Art Asylum did put out a white-handled phaser uh which uh, was pretty cool of them to do since you don't really see those in many episodes of Star Trek. Uh, probably this one the most I think in the Man Trap. So some interesting uh, to- uh tidbits there on the props of that episode. But that's uh not what I'm going to be talking about as far as collectibles this week. This time, I want to talk about another Master Replicas piece. It's a lightsaber, a Star Wars item. And I got this a few weeks ago. I tossed a couple of quick pictures of it up on the forums. But now I'm going to put some more uh, detailed photos up in the collectible gallery. And I will discuss the piece here. This is... a. Uh, Luke's uh, lightsaber that he used in Return of the Jedi. Now, Master Replicas has done this piece before as the what's called, uh, I guess, the hero prop or hero version of this lightsaber, which is the one that was used for close-ups, a lot cleaner version, uh, much more uh, nicely done and detailed, and that is known as the hero. They did that. Uh, that was actually one of the first items Master Replicas ever made for Star Wars or from Star Wars. But this version, too, is, as it's known, uh, lightsaber hilt that he used in Return of the Jedi is much much more seen, actually, in the movie when it's on his belt and in various scenes when he's using it. This uh, lightsaber is probably used in probably 90% or more of what you see, actually, on screen. And it's a much dirtier version. The, the black areas on the lightsaber are, are kind of incomplete. It's kind of beat up looking. And it kind of looks a lot like... Uh, Obi-Wan, old Obi-Wan's lightsaber, Ben Kenobi's lightsaber that was seen in Episode 4, very much like that lightsaber. Now, one of the ideas there and one of the backstories is that uh, Luke, you know, he lost his lightsaber, oh, my hand, or whatever, in, you know, at the end of Empire, and he had to go build another lightsaber, and, you know, Vader eventually grabs and holds or, or has that in Return of the Jedi, and he's got that line that says, uh, I see you've you've constructed a new lightsaber. Your, your skills are now complete and all that. Well, the, the back story there was that Luke had gone back to Tatooine he you know of course got uh han helped in that rescue from jabba's palace and he, he, he at some point in that uh, whole thing he slipped over to uh ben kenobi's old old place and cobbled together a new lightsaber that was the idea so his lightsaber in return of the jedi is is very much like ben and obi-wan's lightsaber is in a new hope and the reason there again is he grabs some old you know spare ben kenobi lightsaber parts from his little his little place on Tatooine. So that that kind of is a little bit of the backstory. But anyway, more back to the Master Replicas piece. This is a very cool item. I managed and bought one uh, of the signature editions signed by Mark Hamill. Hadn't had uh, his signature on any props or replicas yet, so I thought I'd spring for the little extra money and, and buy it with that version. The, uh, they did a great job. You know, this is one of the last items that Master Replicas produced for Star Wars. And this piece, I think the detailing, uh, the, the sort of aged look of it uh, with the incomplete paint job and all that in this sort of dirtier version, two version version two version yeah of this lightsaber is is really well done it comes in the normal kind of display case Uh, it's got a nice weight to it and uh, it's just a a nice item and for those that aren't into the detail of star wars like i just went through they may not understand that you know they used multiple uh, versions of this in the movie they of course use multiple versions of most props in movies but this is probably for star wars one of the biggest examples of how different uh, uh, the hero or close up version of the prop is from what was typically used in the movie. I believe I also had heard and read somewhere that uh, he actually even used one of Ben's, uh, you know, one of his old hilts from episode four at some scenes in the movie as well. But uh, it's hard to say which scenes for what, you know, what he was using in each scene. I'm sure that's outlined somewhere on some Star Wars websites. At, at some point but nothing i need to get into right now so anyway master replicas uh version two of the luke lightsaber these can still be found pretty readily on they did uh, like i said two i got the the signature one but the one that's not signed is uh, a fair amount cheaper i'm sure you can find these at retailers online still it just came out not that long ago and also also up on ebay as well so pick one of these up if you're into uh these cool master replicas items especially since this is a. Uh, uh, the end of an era. This is one of the last items that Master Replicas made from Star Wars. It uh, they've, they've lost the license. It's this new company, EFX, is going to be doing props and replicas in the future. They probably will redo some of these old lightsabers. I'm not sure they'll ever, ever will do a version 2 of the Luke saber, but who knows. Uh, I'm sure they'll put out a hero version from uh, Episode Six, Return of the Jedi, at some point. But another cool prop from Master Replicas. Okay, folks, uh, that's going to about wrap it up for this week's edition of Treks and Sci-Fi. hope you've enjoyed listening to uh, all the different clips that people have sent in. Always appreciate that. Send in stuff about music, books you've read, movies you've seen, reviews of... Uh TV shows of Knight Rider. Oh, which, by the way, was kind of blah, if you ask me. I didn't think there was a much much really to it. I thought the most interesting part maybe was when David Hasselhoff shows up at the very end. So that was a little disappointing, uh, that movie. Although the car was pretty cool, and I thought Val Kilmer did a good job on the voice. So, uh, But anyway, uh, again, hope you've enjoyed this week's edition. I'm going to try something a little unusual next week. I've done this before, but I haven't done one in a while, so I thought I'd give it a go again. I'm going to record a, uh, a live show next weekend. Uh, we're going to record this next Sunday, which will be—gosh, what day is that? That's uh, into March. March 2nd, we'll say. Yes, that's what it is. It's March 2nd. I'm going to record at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the podcast, uh, next weekend. Via uh, Basically, it's going to be a webcam. Go up to the main treksinsci-fi.com website. I uh, will have links there and maybe some video feed if I can embed it directly on the main page. But anyway, there'll be directions shortly before the show uh, to how to access and view it. I haven't decided yet uh, which version, what... Uh, Service to use. I've used Stickam. I think I used UStream the last time I tried this, which seemed to work out pretty good. So probably use UStream. But next weekend, Sunday, March second, one p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be recording a live video show or live. It's not going to be a video show. Let me correct that. It's going to be on a webcam as they record the normal podcast. So I think that'll be fun. Haven't done that since, gosh, the fall. I think I did the last time at Show One Hundred or something. Something like that. It's hard to remember. Uh all these shows. There's just so many of them out there now. But uh, that's the plan. Oh, I'm gonna be covering the two-part Voyager episode, year Year of Hell, Year in Hell. What is that one called again? It's from season four. Let me look it up real quick here. Yeah, Year of Hell, parts one and two. I'm gonna be covering uh from season four of Voyager is the episodes I'm gonna be looking at next weekend for the 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 live a webcam show. So maybe even throw a contest or two in during the show as well. So I hope you'll join me next weekend. And, uh, again, hope you have a great week. Uh, enjoy uh, uh, whatever you happen to be doing for the week. Um, oh, and watch the Oscars tonight. I thought I was going to talk about that, but I guess I didn't really get a chance to. I'm not so interested in it. I'll probably turn it on at the beginning, have it on in the background while I'm playing some video game or, or hunting around on the web for other things, uh, uh, or playing on the forums or something like that. But yeah, the movies this year, I just haven't seen a lot of them, basically. So, but I usually have it on in the background. And John Stewart's a, a pretty funny guy and pretty funny host, so he should do a good job, I'm sure. And with the, uh, the writer strike over, it's good that they're all back in business. So that's it, folks. Uh, this is Rico signing off for this week.